And welcome back, everyone, to Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. I'm your new host, Daniel Rogers, and uh, here with me today is Matt Dabbs from Auburn, Alabama. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great, Daniel. I appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, of course. Uh, I've I've followed your ministry for a couple of years now. I'm kind of uh, new to the scene, so to speak, and okay. like the demographic that would be interested in wine in wineskins. Uh, I was raised in a culture that pretty much thought that you know <laughs> wineskins was going to be the death of everything good in the world. <laughs> and so uh, I'm I'm new to your ministry, but I've been fascinated by it since I've been following you, especially. Uh, being part of your wineskins restoration group on Facebook. That's been such a blessing. And one of the things that uh, really piqued my interest in following your ministry in the past couple of years is Backyard Church. Mm. Um, it seems to just be, it seems to go along with what where I see churches headed and where I see that churches need to head away from your typical church setting and to more of this almost... Uh, informal person to person house to house kind of fellowship that really transforms neighborhoods it's not something that people are you know passing six or seven churches to get to it's right there mm-hmm. in your backyard where you're trying to involve the whole community and to me that i love that but uh before we get to that uh can you introduce yourself to the to the people here give us an elevator pitch of who matt dabs is yeah. well hopefully a servant of christ um you know, I've been in ministry for 18 years, uh, starting in Florida and then moving to California and then back home to Alabama. My parents live in, uh, my mom now lives in North Alabama and the Shoals, which is where I grew up. I went to Muscle Shoals High School and uh, then to Harding and then to University of Florida to do a doctorate in clinical psychology with Drew to go get a master's of divinity at Harding grad and uh, worked at the Millington Church of Christ there for four years while, while getting the degree. And ended up getting married during that time to my wife, Missy, who got her master's in counseling from Harding Grad at the time, and I moved back to her home state of Florida. So we've kind of been in full-time ministry since, full-time ministry since 06 uh, in three different states, and um, started editing Wineskins in 2013. Uh, that was handed off from Keith Brinton. Uh, he had decided it was time to, to wrap up his time doing that and handed that to me in uh, September, October 2013. So uh, right at nine years ago. Uh, which is something now I'm handing off. I'm in the process of, of handing that off to uh, some new folks. So we can talk about that when that kind of gets more finalized. We're still kind of making some decisions on that. But at this point, focused on church planting and discipleship, backyard church, um, learning discipleship, doing discipleship, like real time, real people. Uh, and got some stories on that if, if we have time on kind of where God, how God got me to that point. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at and trying to get more focused, uh, have less irons in the fire and more focused on, on fewer things. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's so fascinating. And when you talk about discipleship, especially, uh, that's one thing that our church is really focused on. Um, I mentioned it in some of the show notes that I sent to you, but yeah. we've been reading the uh, empty church, um, as a congregation, and we're about to launch into a several part series on that. And one of the biggest focuses is going to be on discipleship. And that's another reason why I wanted to bring you on is because of the many, many posts that you have on your personal blog and on wineskins about the importance of discipleship and kind of your uh, your focus on it as you transition out of this uh, wineskins part of your life and into this more focusing on church planting and things like that. And what's interesting is that in a, a world where Christianity is apparently on the decline, statistically speaking, where we're expecting to be more of a minority religion in the United mm-hmm. States, according mm-hmm. to Pew Research. Here you are talking about planting churches and growing churches and discipleship. And it just shows that uh, it just shows that sometimes, you know, while the statistics may be going one way, uh, that doesn't mean that we have to that we have to succumb to that. It doesn't mean that we have mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to give up. We can actually call on God to, to revitalize and to, yes. uh, to bring about a revival. And the God who resurrected Jesus on the third day can certainly bring about revival in Christianity, even in the midst of a sharp decline like we're seeing now. Oh, man, absolutely. You know, there was a number, and I haven't looked at the number in a while, but Stan Granberg wrote in the Great Commission Journal about kind of the, the state of churches of Christ. This is pre-COVID, and he was talking about the uh, the numbers of churches and when they were what decades they were planted in among churches of Christ. And, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s, it's like two thirds of our churches or maybe more than that. And then he said, like in the last decade, we've only planted like, I think it was like 170 churches or something like that. It's like 17 churches a year, but 
you know, obviously a lot of churches are, are closing their doors. And so part of the part of the path to new life is starting new things, envisioning new things, like launching out and not just saying, well, we, we did that 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago, because, you know, churches have life cycles and they're like a human life cycle. And so when your church is 60 or 70 years old, you know, only 1% of churches are over 100 years old. So 99% don't make it to 100. So you have to start thinking about new things. And and, and I would I would propose that part of the process of envisioning new things could help an existing church actually thrive. Like, because we get so, oh, we're going to lose our people. We're going to start a church and lose our leaders and all this. It's like, yeah, but maybe that creative process and that prayerful mission-minded vision would like actually help home-based church do great, you know? Yeah, and that's that's one of the things we're trying to encourage among our people here at uh, North Broad and Albertville. Um, by the way, we have a common connection, uh, Gary Payne. I think he's reached yeah, out yeah, to yeah. He's actually one of my shepherds here at, at the yes. North Broad. So it's uh, pretty interesting. But um, anyways, that's one of the things that we've been talking about is sometimes membership declining is negative, obviously, from one point, uh, from one perspective. But from another perspective, it could be an opportunity for resurrection. Uh, you know, winter comes before spring. Death comes before resurrection. This could be a, an opportunity to recollect, uh, reimagine the future and take creative steps to not reverse the process by bringing the people back necessarily who have left, but by actually finding people who've never known Jesus uh, to come to your new to Right, to your right. Community. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the uh, big conversations I've had with other ministers is they get frustrated by the fact that it seems like their church sort of swells <laughs> instead of grows. Uh, mm-hmm. They might get disgruntled members from other area congregations. Mm-hmm. They might get you know, transplants from, you know, people who've moved from out of state or something like that, but new converts from their own community is what they really want to see. And, uh, we're going to get to this a little bit later, but, uh, how has that impacted you with, uh, with backyard church? You know, this whole idea of swelling versus growing. Well, one of the things before I, I dive into that is one of the most important conversations you can have with a new person who comes to your church is, how'd you get here? You know, like what, what made you come to us and, and not in an interrogation kind of way, but often what you'll find is, is that people have left unresolved issues on the table with wherever they've left. And, you know, a kingdom win would be for them to go back to that church that they left and find reconciliation. Even if they still decide to leave that they mend uh, the fence, they mend the bridges, whatever it is, you know, it's like they take care of your business. So, Because what you're doing is by readily accepting without questioning that you are building your church up with disgruntled people who don't know how to resolve conflict. Well, yeah, that is so insightful. Yeah. And is that really what you want? Because it feels really good. Like, oh, that it's kind of like church growth strategy is church across town goofed up. (laughs) Right. And yay. Now we're growing. Like, well, be careful. Is that a kingdom win just because you have more numbers? See, now we're into what are our metrics? What are healthy church metrics, right? Yeah, you see that a lot with a church with church splits. Uh, then you have a few people in that split who bounce between the two congregations depending upon you know how happy they are that day or if the leadership is doing what they think is the best thing. And they don't have a church home. They, they just sort of go wherever uh, the people – you know, are that are pleasing them at that moment. Yeah. And one of the things that you see a lot, and uh, I'm, I know you've probably seen this in your time, you'll see a church split. And then that split contains all of the people who are always mad. <laughs> and then eventually what happens is yeah. those people who are always mad inevitably end up getting mad at each other. And then they end up splitting or they end up dissolving and, you know, either stop going to church altogether or come back to the other congregation that they originally left. Uh, that that's so insightful. I've never thought about that before. Of a kingdom win actually being encouraging them to return to their old church, resolving those differences, and then in that healthy mindset, deciding which place would be best for themselves, yeah. their family. Wow. Well, if our goal is what makes God the most happy, it does not make God happy to grow your church through unresolved differences in the body. I think I can't speak for God, but that doesn't seem like a great 
path. Like, in other words, we would say, well, it makes God happy. Our church grew. Like, now God's happy. Well, it got more people. We had, you know, this many. Now we have that many. And certainly that makes God happy. Well, why are they there? How do they get there? What's going on? You know, there's more to the story of that. And, and I can't help but think that God wants his people to resolve conflict, you know. Um, so that, I think that's a really important thing is, is this open-handed, non-territorial Christianity. It's like, we're not just here just to gobble up anybody we can get. We want to be healthy. We want to grow healthy, right? Yeah, I had a, a conversation with a couple members of our church the other day who uh, they used to be members here, then they moved away, and now they're kind of coming back. Um, but they've made the decision to actually go to a different church. And we were talking about that the other day. And uh, and I told him, I said, look, my job as a minister is to bring people to Jesus, <laughs> to present this, this good news to them. And hopefully that good news will transform them and, and uh, lead them to being followers of Jesus it's not to get you to attend my church <laughs> that I happen to preach at. So if your best shot is to go to this other congregation across town, and that's where you can get the most growth and your unique situation. And there, of course, there's no animosity or anything like that. Yeah. Um, then by all means, you have my blessing because kind of like what you're getting at is in Jesus's prayer for us to be one. He didn't mean everybody in the congregation to be one. <laughs> he meant all the house churches all across town, you know, in a setting like Rome or all churches everywhere to be one. And that means not competing for membership, not being territorial, as you mentioned, and, and being willing to say, you know, we're not the the church that you have to go to. If you can find better growth at, at, at that church across town, by all means. I mean, yeah, feel free yes. to go. Yeah. Imagine if your church set a cap on how many people. Let me back up. So let's say that your leadership had some principles in mind that the church should operate by. And let's say that one of those principles is, is that we value participation within the ministry of the body of discipleship, ministry participation, using gifts, things like that. Well, then the question becomes, at what size do those principles di get diminished? So you might say, I mean, this is such a backwards way of thinking, but like, what if your church said, you know what? Our optimal size is about 85 people. We're not trying to be a mega church. We're also not trying to not grow, but we understand that once we hit about 100 people, our, our participation rates go down, our spectator rates go up. People are not using their gifts. They're relying on paid staff. So what if we were an amazing church of 85 to 100 people but had a vision for growth that involved growing new churches up to a certain spot, right? Yeah. So we're not just saying we want to be comfortable at 85 and not do any work for the kingdom and not grow the kingdom. This, this hit me through house church planting when in house church planting, one of the, one of the methods that people use is, you know, if you've ever done small groups, one of the things that happens with small groups is it's like small groups. It's like when we get to 25 or 30 people, we're going to split. And everyone's like, okay, you know, and then you go through it and everyone's like, oh, we hated that. And you're like, yeah, guess what? You're going to do it again. When you're, if, if we're saying, if your group is successful, you're going to hate it. Right. Because every so often you're going to have to lose your friends again, split off again, split off again. So the more successful you are, the more pain you're going to go through. Right. But what if instead of that, like, let's, let's take it on the small group paradigm because a lot of us are more familiar with that and then sure. apply that to church. So instead of saying every time you grow to a certain size, you split into two, you say you're only going to be a certain size and you're going to start more small groups. New people go into new small groups. Mm, right. That makes right? sense. So what if we applied that to the church level where we said, you know what? A church of like 60, 80, 100 people can be really close. It can be transformative. The relationships are real and tight. You have your support networks. You know everybody. You can name them. And you're participating. But everyone's like, oh, but we got to be the, what success would be like if we had three services and we had to build a bigger building. We had done it. What if that's not, what if success doesn't look like that? Like, what if you right. just started new things and like maintain those principles tightly, like strongly, like we, whatever it is that you value, once your size dictates that that's compromised, like maybe you need to rethink what church growth looks like. You know, actually, um, coincidentally had a thought about this at the end of a book that I've been working on, uh, just sort of walking people through my own story in hopes that that might help motivate them as well. Yeah. And I, I gave a chapter dedicated to 
where I think church is headed. And the suggestion, the suggestion that I gave was a coalition of house churches. You know, what if you had some of these little groups, like you're saying, 20, 35 people, or even 60 to 80 to hundred people. And yeah, they met in their own little house, or maybe a couple has a barn or something like that they can meet in. And then once a month or once a quarter or something, they all come together to, to cast a common vision, to, 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 to uh, share resources, you know, to, you know, th- different things like that. And, but then most of the time though, they're meeting in these little house church groups where they have that intimacy, where they can use their gifts. where at the same time having the potential network of a, of a mega church or, you know, or of a larger mm-hmm. congregation. Now who's to say that doesn't already exist, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you drive by it on your way to church and there might be a few cars in front of a house and you don't realize that's a house church. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I actually, um, I actually found myself meeting with one of them on a Saturday one yeah. time. They were, uh, uh, they were, they're Sabbatarians, but they're, uh, they're Messianic. Yeah. And they, <laughs> uh, I saw the guy at the coffee shop and we struck up a conversation and he invited me to his house church. And it was like, boom, right there, you know, right close to where I lived. And who would have known, you know? Well, my understanding, there's a guy in Dadeville, which is just outside of Auburn. His name's Curtis Sargent. And he started off, in China at, a, at an island in China that had like 5 million people or something. No churches, no Christians, 5 million people. 10 years later, they had churches in 5,000 villages, 800,000 million Christians, something like that. Wow. And he went from there to Saddleback. He led church planting at Saddleback uh, with Rick Warren. And then uh, he did some other things, but now he runs Metacamp, uh, which is an in-person uh, house church training in Dadeville, Alabama on Lake Martin. And he has a, Zoom, a website that is, the URL is zume, Z-U-M-E dot training. If you go to that, there's 20 hours of free training. But my understanding is that that network is like, I think like a million people in house churches in the U.S. Wow. And you would just never know. I mean, I've never, never heard of that. Yeah. So it's a vision. Yeah, it's a vision, but it may not be, a, it may be a vision that we don't have to invent everything. We don't have to, um, you know, we don't even have to innovate. Like some of those resources are already there. Yeah. So uh, that Zume, that sounds like an interesting resource. Uh, it's interesting how in ministry we'll come up with these great ideas. You know, we'll see a trend, we'll see, a, have a vision. And then you do a quick Google search or talk to a friend and somebody already has a million people. They have signed up for this very thing that you right. are, are. You're so smart. You, you figured it out and somebody's already got it. And so uh, since we're on the subject of utilizing existing resources to uh, for discipleship, for church planting, for church building. Uh, can you give us some of your resources, YouTube channels, websites, whatever you yeah. want to throw out there? Yeah. Okay. So uh, a few things to check out. And well, bef- well, one thing is that, you know, house churches go all the way back. We kind of think it was early church and then now, but they go all the way back. And in Martin Luther and all through that time, there were house church movements. Uh, and so it's not anything new at all. It's, it's actually very old and, and they almost always went through persecution. They almost always went through suffering. And in fact, I would say that if you start a house church, uh, you know, you might anticipate some spiritual warfare or some suffering because, uh, Satan does not like to see the kingdom of light advance, uh, or people get innovative. So on, on the resource end, there's a few things that really stand out on, on the, on the book end, there is Wolfgang Simpson, S-I-M-S-O-N. Uh, he wrote two books that are really important. He wrote Houses Houses That Change the World. Really good book. It's it's a bigger book. It's three or 400 pages. They're not huge pages, but good book. He wrote a smaller book called The House Church Book. And that book is, is foundational for anyone who is in big church, but is thinking about house church. And they're like trying to shift their paradigm, but they don't know quite how, like, the way he explains it and the journey between the two, it's like phenomenal. It's a very short book, very good book, The House Church Book. So Houses That Change the World, Wolfgang Simpson, The House Church Book. Um, then there is uh, Ying Kai, K-A-I, who was a house church movement leader in China. Uh, he started a, a ministry and an approach called Training for Trainers, T4T. They have all kinds of online resources. They have Kindle books. They have hard copies. Uh, anything by him is really helpful. And everything in this these approaches are simple because simple is reproducible. Complicated is not reproducible. So if your approach to discipleship and church planting requires a PhD, expect very few church planters. But if your approach to church planting is that everyday people can do it just like in Acts, then 
you know, you might see quicker growth, quicker spread, faster buy-in and people yeah. who look at the leadership and go, oh, I could do that too, you know? Uh, so that's a couple of things. So training for trainers. So then there's Curtis Sargent, who I've mentioned, which is zume.training. And there's a related website based on Matthew 24, 14, that talks about, you know, then the end will come when the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations, then, you know, then usher in the end. So it's an effort to try to bring the gospel to all the nations. So that's uh, 2414now.net, I believe. Yeah, I think I might have seen that one referenced on your website, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's a really, really good site. Um, but that's kind of the main stuff I would start if I was getting into this. Um, if you're trying to wrap your mind around it, I would start with Wolfgang Simpson, the house church book. As you get into it, I would read, if you actually start a house church, I would read the uh, houses that change the world. And if you're just looking for simple discipleship approaches that multiply T for T Zume and Zume is um, 20 hours. The first module is totally free, 20 hours. It's in like 50 languages or something. Wow. And uh, incredibly well done. Curtis Sargent, who runs that, also has a YouTube channel that is one of the most underappreciated YouTube channels that has ever existed. Oh man, we'll have to look him up on YouTube for sure. And I'll put all these, um, I'll put all these channels and websites and book suggestions with Amazon links, or if I can find a better link than that, I'll put them in the, the show notes below on uh, Podbean and on iTunes, so you can access yeah. all these. Uh, what about yourself? What um, I know, I looked up some of your resources. What are uh, what are your websites that you've got? So right now? well. I have mattdabs.com and then there's YouTube, which right now is youtube.com slash wineskins. There's going to have to be a rebranding of that. I'm just taking my time on it. There's no rush. Right. Um, that's going to become more discipleship and church planting focused for practical everyday ministry, just everyday people equipping. Cause I just really believe that what William Tyndale said about Bible translation should be true about ministry. When he said to that Bishop, the, uh, farmhand is going to know more scripture than you when I get done kind of thing. Like, yeah, we don't need to relegate ministry to the trained, to the, to the educated, to the master's level people. Right. Like, right. Uh, I know that my friend, uh, Dr. Dallas Burdett, whom I know that you're familiar with, he, that was one of the things that he did. He would go into a church that had six, seven, eight people attending in a paid off building, you know, and he would build them up to 70, 80, 90 or so. And then he would train the people there to be the ministers, to be the elders, to uh, to lead the people. And then he would go on to his next big adventure. And so I know that he did that for years and years and years as he was at the same time going through uh, his uh, graduate work at Amridge, uh, Amridge University in Montgomery. And so that was one thing that he was big on was the priesthood of all believers, understanding that we're all ministers. Um, one of the books that I read recently was Duffy Robbins. Uh, building a youth ministry that builds disciples. Hmm. And it's it's all about training your youth, not just to be disciples themselves, but to go out and to make disciples yeah. as well. And so, yeah, all that, all that is very fascinating. And I hope that all, all of our listeners can go and check out some of that. Uh, do you have any big projects you're working on? Anything we can look out for? Anything well, like that? Well, let me say one thing about what you just said. That's uh, sure. a guy named Tim Hawks. He was at National Disciple Making Forum two weeks ago in Nashville. And he... Yeah. He made a really good point when you're talking about kids and, and youth. And he said that uh, he said that we thought that we had a scheduling problem with getting youth to church, that the schedules just didn't line up between sports and school and church and all this. And he said, you know, we really don't have a scheduling problem. We have a problem of priority. And the problem of priority is, is that the parents don't share the same priority as the church and the priority that parents have in the lives of their children I just thought this was so profound. We have an 11 and 13 year old is be 14 tomorrow uh, was he said the priority of the parents is that their kids are happy and that their kids fit in that they, you know, and so he said that when they go off to, to, to college, now what people say makes them happy is can be pretty outrageous. Right. And the things it takes to fit in can absolutely undermine your faith. And so these things that were put priorities on for so long, uh, you know, all of a sudden are undermining the faith of the kids. So I thought that was pretty, pretty profound. So all that to say, uh, if kids get put on mission, I feel like they're far less likely to fall away right. than kids not on mission. And so we've kind of had a, 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 an idea of 
we need to keep our kids entertained. We need to keep our kids comfortable. We need to be relevant. But maybe the real message is if they understand the gospel and engage the world with the gospel, yeah, uh, they'll have a stronger foundation of their faith, right? You know, our uh, my family, we attended church every time the door was open. Sunday morning, mm-hmm. Sunday night, Wednesday night, gospel meetings, vacation Bible schools. I mean, my, I remember my mom and dad coming to the football field while we were practicing when I was in the fifth grade and pulling me off the field to go to a gospel meeting that night, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, a lot of that, a lot of that was fear-based. You know, a lot of that was we have to attend every service or, you know, we're, we're not real Christians, but honestly, that type of at, uh, the, the actions, maybe not so much the motivation is what led me to sticking with church, even though you know I might not have been doing what I was supposed to on a Friday night. I still found ways to go to church on Sunday. I still found ways to go to yeah. a Bible class on Wednesday night. I was still starting Bible studies with people and things like that's that. Great. And, and, Here you are. and yeah, and I think that that's one thing that we we sort of overcorrect sometimes. We say, well, we don't want church attendance to be fear based, and then we end up not you know, making our kids go at all, you know, or or letting them skip for anything. And we've kind of missed the point, you know, it should be out of a motivation of love for God and desire to follow the gospel and and wanting to be like Jesus and wanting to make this world a better place. Not, well, I've got to go to check off a box. Um, The the end result was still good, you know? Yes. For you, but not for everybody. That's true. And so one of the things that happens is if we tell our kids that faith True Christianity looks like all this stuff, (laughs) right? And not all of it's wrong. Right. But if we say the true Christians look like all of this stuff, and then they find one or two things that don't actually line up with the Bible, then all of a sudden, for some people, the whole thing unravels. Not doesn't sound like for you, but for some people, it's like, well, I mean, you said that true Christians only do X, Y, and Z. And the more I search my Bible, I don't find that. So what else are you not telling me? Yeah, it, it did. It did unravel for me a couple of times. I had some really dark months and even a couple of years at, at, at some points. But one thing that I was also always told, which was a huge blessing and probably the best thing that I've ever heard mm. was, hey, even if if you find something that that causes you to disagree with us, but you believe it's true, you believe it's from God, then you have an obligation to follow that, even if <laughs> it's not yeah. what we taught you. And I know sometimes that's used as we have it figured out. So, you know, you're going to see that as you study. But for me, I heard it and I thought, well, hey, my granddad could be wrong. My mom could be wrong. Let me, let me study and see what happens. Yeah. And so I do think that uh, it, it is sort of on an, you know, it's different for every individual. Uh, as you said, some people have one or two things fall and the whole thing unravels. Other people, one or, t- one or two things fall. Like you, I saw you post Kevin Pendergrass's book the other day. And instead of unraveling necessarily, it's like, whoa, there's this whole world that's so exciting that I didn't know about. Let's pursue it, you know. Mm. And uh, that can be one of the most exciting times of someone's life. At the same time, one of the most excruciating and heart rendering and, you know, dark nights of the soul that they'll ever go through. But at the other side is, you know, is resurrection. And so, yes. Um, so, uh, so backyard church, uh, I've, I've looked at the website. I saw, I read your story on there and I've read a few of the articles that go along with that. Um, we've actually tried to implement something similar at our church on the first Sunday night of each month called The Gathering. And I think my shepherd, Gary, uh, he, he probably sent you some material on that from what he told me. So walk us through uh, sort of what a typical Sunday looks like at Backyard Church. What, what, what could someone expect if they showed up for the first time? Yeah, well, there's a few things that lead into Sunday that have an impact on Sunday. And those things anyone can do. So when, when you're like, oh, okay, we're going to hear a church planner talk about, you know, house church, and that has nothing to do with what we do over here at Big Church, uh, I'll illustrate a few things that could impact anybody, any church, anywhere that I think are really helpful. So uh, obviously church is Sunday, but before Sunday, uh, every single Saturday night for 15 to 20 minutes, we have a prayer Zoom at 8 p.m. And... We have just whoever wants to show up. It's never a large crowd. It's just usually a handful of people. And we get people from Florida, from India, uh, pray in Telugu sometimes. And our wow. friend Gary is on there pretty much every week uh, from India. 
and uh, taught Bible class in India through Zoom a few weeks ago with him, which was cool. But anyway, so we pray. We pray for God to move powerfully, for just him to be glorified, for us to listen, pay attention to his lead, right? And pray for the different ministries that are represented in the Zoom. The guy in India is like at 6 a.m. there, so he's about to start Bible class in an hour or two. He's got his prayer team there. So we have a prayer team. We have a prayer team on an app so we can communicate prayer needs. So they just... What I want you to hear me say is like prayer is the operating system. Yeah. Sunday morning, five acts of worship is not the operating system. It's there are things that we do just like you see things on a computer screen that happen, but there has to be an operating, like you and I were talking about Linux and windows and stuff before we hopped on here. Right. There's an underlying operating system that has some, some key characteristics, but the operating system is prayer and reliance on the Holy spirit to operate to empower us, inform us, and help us carry out the mission that he's given us. The Great Commission, he says, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. I, I think he means by the Holy Spirit, because he said, I'm going to go away, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and guide you in all truth and empower you to do all these things that I've, I've, I've shown you how to do, right? So we see that in Acts 2, the empowerment and the informing, inspiration of Peter's sermon. So there has to be an operating system that is characterized by reliance on God, Prayer in all things. We pray in all things because we're relying on God, on God in all things. Right. I'm relying on God in all things. And I'm going to pray about everything because well, I, I really think God's going to help us. I really think God's going to tell us. And I've got lots of stories like we could illustrate on how God has shown us things to do because we were praying about it. And, and I think that's one way where a lot of uh, leaders go wrong in a church is, they're, they think, well, we have to do something. We have to do this. We have to do that. Um, you know, if we could just do X, Y, Z, then we could grow instead of sort of consenting to the work of the spirit in their lives. But that's and, surrender. Yeah. It's surrender. Yeah. It's not just surrender. we mentally acknowledge that this Holy Spirit is now working, whereas we used to not think the Holy Spirit did much. Yeah. And that's that's a hard thing for me because of the way I was taught to view the Holy Spirit, you know, um, yeah. I, I was raised in more of a word only view. Yeah. And so it was pretty much the Holy Spirit. You got out of it, what you put in, <laughs> in terms of hours of study and memorization and things like that. And so, yeah, that's been such a life changing thing for me is focusing more on prayer. And yes. Um, and as you say, surrendering to the work of the spirit, God is in control. It is his church. It is not my church. Yeah. So he calls the shots. We follow his lead. He's going to tell us what to do, and we're going to be obedient to that as best we can. So it's it's an attitude of surrender. We're not in control. We are not in charge. So much of, of big churches, we are in control, and we are in charge, and we are making the decisions. And I'll tell you, I've sat through many an elders meeting where maybe we prayed at the start, maybe, but we never prayed about anything ever again. Hmm. We would never stop and say, God, we don't know what to do on this one. See, an, an elder... <laughs> Yeah, be careful. Go for it. Go for it. Do it. We're cheering somehow you everyone's on. an expert. I don't know how many elders meetings you've been through, but somehow everyone's an expert, right? And if I if I had an elder in the operating system and that's all I knew, I would do the exact same thing. Okay. Yeah. So I don't mean to sound judgy, but if if God is leading his church and we are his servants and he knows everything and can do anything, then why would we not stop and ask him for help? <laughs> right. So you're making a really hard decision. And instead of going, well, we're going to take a vote on that. And okay, yes, yes, no, no. Okay, that's a yes, or that's a no. Or the really strong elder says really loudly and strongly, well, this is what I think. Everyone gets quiet, just move on. You know, it's like, no, you need to stop and say, God, we are idiots. We are morons. We don't know what on earth we're doing. We are humbling ourselves. We're coming before you. We're asking for help. Please guide us. And we will not do anything until we're convinced that you showed us what to do. Wow. So this, this decision's on hold. And we'll come back to it next week. And we're all going to pray about it. And after we've all prayed about it for a week, we'll see if we have any more clarity about what we think God is saying. And if we don't have any more clarity next week, we're going to give it another week. <laughs> and that, that's the pattern we see in Scripture. Everything yeah, is seasoned yeah. in prayer, like with yeah. uh, with Daniel when he yeah. calls, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah there before he goes into Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, guys, we got to pray. <laughs> Please yeah. pray for me. I mean, it is the operating system. Yeah, that's right. Prayer is the operating system. So, 
I'll give you an illustration. Um, we what one of the parts of prayer? So prayer team, anyone can do that. Any church can do that. Go to WhatsApp, make a prayer team, invite people to it, send out prayer requests. Prayer Zoom on Saturday night. I tell them, look, short, fifteen minutes. This is not going to be two hours of prayer. You can so it's doable. It has to be short, so it's doable. And then prayer walk. So we try to prayer walk at least once a month. Sometimes when I go out jogging, walking, whatever, I'll praise, I jog, praise, I walk. And you are going through your neighborhood, praying for homes, praying for people. Maybe you encounter people. We could spend over an hour on prayer walking, so I'm not going to spend much time on this. Uh, there's a video on the YouTube channel, on Backyard Church YouTube channel on prayer walking. I think there's also one on Wineskins YouTube on prayer walking. You can look that up. So that lays that out. So I'll just give you an illustration. So this is last July. This is last no, uh, end of June. I'm I'm prayer walking this neighborhood where we've started having church, and uh, it's hot, and no one is out. It's like a Saturday morning, 10, 11 o'clock, hot. So I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm going to prayer drive today. It's really hot. I don't see anybody, but I still want to pray over this neighborhood. So I'm driving down slowly. Everyone probably thinks I'm crazy, like I'm going to rob them or something. I'm scoping out the neighborhood. So I'm, I'm like just, just driving down these streets and praying over these homes. No one's out. So the next morning, this is a Saturday. Next morning, Sunday, church is about to start. This lady comes walking over and she introduces herself. And we had some a little bit of church connection. She had heard about what we're doing, but she lived in the neighborhood. And I said, where do you live? And we're on this lake at this, in this neighborhood. And she's like, I live in that house right over there. And she points across the lake. I'm like, that one? Yeah, that one. I'm like, I want you to know that I prayed for you yesterday. Wow. I went by your house, your house. I remember that going up down that street. I prayed for you in your house that you, if you do not know the Lord, I pray you would come to know the Lord. But if you do know the Lord, I pray that we could connect with you and help you in your walk if you need that. And here you are. Wow. That is awesome. And she was like, wow, well, that's amazing. And so we got to talking and she she's a pharmacist. And we're about to go to Uganda for 10 days and we need medications. And we hadn't found anybody to help purchase this. And she was like, uh, she's like, Uganda? And we have a guy from Uganda who comes to Backyard Church uh, named Daniel. He's our prayer minister. And she connects with Daniel. They're right there. It's all like in five minutes. <laughs> and she's like, I've been to Uganda like three times. I love Uganda. What can I do to help? Like, what do you do? She's like, I'm a pharmacist. We're like, are you kidding? So she ends up buying all of her medication for the whole trip out of pocket, 90% off. That's like, wow, this is amazing. And so yeah. now she's talking to her neighbor and encouraging people. And, you know, it's like, so people of peace become important in the operating system. This is big church, small church, people of peace. This is Luke 9 and 10. Sending the 12, saying the 7, 2, look for the person you give your peace to the peace returns. This person gets you into networks of new relationships. They're agreeable to the mission. They're hospitable. They invite you in your home. These are the kinds of people who are for you. They don't even know you yet, but they are for you. They are for the mission, right? Uh, and that sort of thing. So anyway, uh, that's kind of part of the operating system. It's like we're looking for people of peace. That's what Jesus said to do. And you find them. And they start, and I can tell other stories of people who just get you into their world and gets you into new networks. So you're like, see, this brings up the evangelism question. It's like, wh what's really going on? Like, are we making disciples? Are we evangelizing? Like, what's really going on? All we're really doing is just do what Jesus said. He said, go out two by two, be on the mission, talk to people. We're going to go pray with people. Like, we prayer walk. It's like, you just walk up to somebody and you're like, hey, uh, I love this neighborhood. We live over here. And uh, nice to meet you. You know, like, we're just praying for the neighborhood. We just want to see God move in our neighborhood. We want to see people blessed. We want to see sick people get well. Like, is there anything in your life that we could pray about today? Like, how non-threatening is that? Right. And then someone's like, oh, no, I'm good. Or, yeah, uh, my husband died, and I'm really lonely. And I mean, they get into all this stuff, and then you're like, really pray about that. And while, like, if I'm praying for her, then everyone in my group is in their mind praying that God's opening this person's heart because see, again, God can do anything because he's all powerful and he knows everything. And he knew that this person needed this conversation. Right. And so we're asking him to move. We're asking him to work. And then we're like, well, by the way, there's a church that meets in the neighborhood. You're welcome to come. Here's some information. Right. So it's just a different operating system. Then we're not just going to go door to door and knock and that sort of thing. We're just like, 
we literally, before we pray walk, prayer walk, we're like, God, please send outside the people today. We most, you most want us to connect with because hmm. he can do that. He could yeah. put something on their mind to be like, I need to just go check the sprinkler or something. Like you don't know how God's going to do that. Right. And it's amazing how often that kind of thing happens. I, yeah. I yeah. remember when we were in Florida and uh, we had our, our son and uh, we were going through COVID, right? Everything 20, it was 2020 when he was born uh, January mm-hmm. and then COVID hits in March mm-hmm. and it was a pretty tough year for us. And uh, we didn't have any family down there in Southwest Florida, all of our families in Northeast Alabama. And so we were praying for some kind of change and out of the blue, <laughs> out of the blue, I get this message from a mutual uh, friend of ours, Jesse Wynn, who mm-hmm. is like, Hey, if I were to step down, theoretically at the end of this year, do you think that you could come and take my place? Cause I can't think of anybody else better than, than you to come take my place. Mm. And I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> you know? And mm. what's funny is I actually denied him probably three or four times until he finally reached out again in maybe May of 2021 to convince me to come mm. and take a spot. <laughs> and so That's awesome. it took so much, but it was an answered prayer and you don't even know. Yeah. 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 Now here's, here's why I bring that up to kind of supplement your example is there are people who listen to this podcast who do not have a church home. Uh, this may even be their church, so to speak. Uh, they might not feel comfortable wherever they are. There might not be a church mm-hmm. that they feel like they can plug into very well. And what I'm hearing you say is for all of those people who send us messages, hey, do you know of a church in Dallas, Fort Worth area? Hey, do you know of a church uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska? You know, where can we go? The answer may be your own backyard is what it yeah. sounds like yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and with, with a God who can do anything, who can bring people out to you uh, as you're on these prayer walks and things like that, it sounds like their best solution may be <laughs> right in their home backyard. So, yeah, I mean, there's the old saying, it's so true. God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. So if God has laid it upon someone's heart, it may be that you've never fit in a church in your community because God has something else for you. Could be. Now, I had a post the other day that I posted that yesterday or two days ago on my blog that basically said, like, anyone can plant a church. And what I meant by that was it doesn't take a doctorate or 100 hours of training or whatever to start a church. It's never been that way in the history of Christianity until the last 60 years or whatever. And now all of a sudden, everything's professionalized and degreed. So somebody did comment on Facebook on it and said, well, I tried that and it was not easy. And I'm like, well, I didn't say it's easy. I said it can be simple. There's a big difference between simple and easy. What I'm yeah. saying is like getting started, just fo- praying, following God's lead, inviting people, praying with people, like getting in the word with people and being like becoming a church where you look around like we're a community of faith. Like this is a church. It's just we used to call it small group, but now it's in my home and it's on Sunday morning or whatever. But but it's actually not all easy because again, when you enter into challenging the kingdom of darkness, Satan is going to come swinging and it's not going to be pretty. And we've endured some really hard seasons in doing this uh, because, well, there's lots of reasons, but what I'm saying right, is, right. is suff- suffering can follow, but it might be the most rewarding thing you've ever done. And that's how it's always been. That's, I mean, read first Peter, you know, five yeah. chapters, 26 times he talks about suffering or something like that. You know, I was I was amazed uh, following your group on wineskins on Facebook, and I remember there was a situation you called on the whole group to pray for. Uh, it was really difficult. Uh, it was threatening a lot of the uh, peace that you had at your church, and I remember saying a prayer for that. And then I remember the update post where it had been resolved, and it was it was awesome to see that to see that happen. And so, yeah, the you know the kingdom of darkness is going to come for you. That's for sure. But if we serve a God who has overcome the world, then why should we be afraid to take that plunge? You know, that that's, that's an awesome testimony. I love well, we, that. We, we ask for prayer requests, but we don't often talk about prayer answers. Yeah. And that's where we need the stories. That's where we need the testimonies. It's like, okay, well, how have you seen God work this week? Oh yeah. We prayed about such and such. The other thing is, is we need to not just study the Bible, like say Bible class is good, but Bible class never comes with commitment. Bible class is one where we talk and talk and talk and study and study and study, but you walk away with no commitment. And what we learn is I can study the Bible all day long and commit to nothing. Yeah. But one of the most powerful things you can do as a student of the Bible is when you read the Bible, at least, at least once a week, 
is to make a commitment to live what you learned, a very specific commitment, live it out, and then you'll have a story because you'll be able to say, God's word said this, I committed to this, I did it, and here's what God did next. And see, that's what our kids need to see. That's what our kids need to hear. Our kids are getting it. I mean, we did a prayer walk a while back where our youngest, who's 11, we started the prayer walk and he's like, dad, wouldn't it be cool if we had 12 people on the prayer walk? And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, we've never had 12 people. 12 people aren't coming. This is never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And we had like seven people. And I'm like, that's a lot. I mean, that, we normally get like maybe five or six or something. Like, we're doing pretty good at seven. Well, as we started walking, other people started walking in the prayer <laughs> walk with us. And I looked around and I'm like, we got 12 people. And, wow. my, and my son looks up at me. I didn't say anything about it. My son looked up at me. He's like, dad, do you see this? 12 people. <laughs> I prayed about that. God did that. Wow. I'm like, he did, dude. Like you prayed, God did, you noticed it. Thank you, God. Like that's how I want my, I want my kids to see life that way. You know, it, it's awesome. I, I uh, was listening to one speaker and I can't remember who exactly who it was, but he said, you get a group of kids together, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. Say, what, what's God telling you these days? You know, yeah. where's he leading you? And they just know, they start talking about it. And I think we become so desensitized to that. Uh, and perhaps that's what Jesus had in mind when he talked about becoming like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, you know, mm -hmm. uh, moving away from this false reality where, uh, you know, uh, an object in motion stays in motion, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and move back to this world of, of miracles and signs and wonders and yeah, a God who real. can actually do all things. It's right? real. And yeah. we, we, you said before the church in America is in decline, but the church around the world is not in decline. And the church around the world will tell you about miracles. As much as and the church around the world will tell you about spiritual warfare, it will tell you about demons. And God is speaking. And you know, some oh no, God, I heard this televangelist say, Well, God told me such and such, God told me such and such. It's like, well, I, I have a boundary, a personal boundary, where I don't like to say, God told me to tell you this from him. I don't like that. Because that can get really twisty. Right. But and manipulative. But I do believe, and I, and I think it's possible that God could help ha, have said something to me that I could help you with. But you have to be very careful with the boundaries on that. Because, I mean, in my mind, it's like, why not God just tell you? Right. Instead of me, like, leverage that or something. So it's very, the flesh can get involved, is what I'm saying. But I can tell you experiences where God very clearly said certain things that were in direct answer to prayer that were just... And, and we could spend another hour on that, but, I, but I what, that, my point, and, and we're going to talk about that sometime, but like, yeah. if you don't think God speaks or communicates, you, you shut yourself off from so much. And the word of God certainly has, oh, it's sufficient, right? Like that does not make the word of God insufficient, but it's like, if I, I have a relationship with God and yeah, I've got all the letters he wrote me, but I can also have a conversation with him. You know, right. You, you know, there's times when I'll be preaching or, or writing an article or something like that. And I know you've had this experience as well where you go, wow, that was really cool. And I have no idea where that came from. And that definitely yeah. wasn't me. I'm not smart enough to say that. Right. I'm not yeah, passionate yeah, yeah, enough yeah, to yeah. come up with that point. And we've been conditioned, at least I was conditioned not to use the language. God laid this message on my heart or, you know, the spirit mm -hmm. led me to say mm -hmm. this. And yet there's been times when where else could it have come from? You know, right. Where else right. could it have come from? Yeah. And the preaching analogy, the ones that stand out to me are the ones where I have all my notes and I'm following my notes, but something pops in there and you just lay that yeah. out there. And you like you said, I don't know where that came from. And then after the sermon, someone comes up to you and they're like, when you said this, that was exactly what I needed to hear today. Yeah. Wow. Like, that's the Holy Spirit. How is yeah. that not the Holy Spirit? <laughs> exactly. You're like, I could never do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that, those are some of the most powerful moments. And it's kind of like whenever you feel like you bombed a sermon and yet yeah. someone comes and they said, that's exactly what I needed. And you go, okay, that's good enough for me. Yes, <laughs> you know? and God, God does this not just on Sunday morning. Right. God does this Monday to Saturday and he does yes. it in relationships. And I'll tell you one way that you can start tuning into this. And that is that when someone's name keeps coming to mind for you, do not ignore it. Reach out to them. And so many times when we do that, the other person will say, I can't believe you said that. You were just on my mind. I was just about to call you 
or I've had this problem and I was thinking I should reach out to you, but I was a little scared. It's amazing how often that will happen. Tell me that's not the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's Peter and Cornelius, right? Like God is, is talking to one and talking to the other. And it's like, we have to take that initiative. Yeah. God does this in relationship. Like I, I'll, I'll try to make this like super duper brief, but like I was going to have a very hard conversation with the neighbor. And I was on my way to have the conversation. But before I walked out my door, I'm praying. I prayed like three times, four times. I'm like, God, this is going to be a hard conversation. It has a lot on the line, you know, and I need your help. You make this successful. However you define successful to be, I want that. So I'm walking out my door. I'm literally walking over to my neighbor's house and I had been burning some grass and I walk past my grass pile, which is not even in my sight. It's down a little hill, kind of because I got to walk past that to go to my neighbor's house. And I had this very strong feeling, Matt, burn the grass. And I'm like, no, you're, you're avoiding. This is a hard conversation. You're just trying to find something. No, I'm not going to burn the grass. I keep walking. And it's like, Matt, dude, burn the grass, like strong. And I'm like, whoa. Uh, okay, got my attention. So I went and burned the grass. So I do that for a little while, put it out. And I'm like, okay, time to have the hard conversation. I walk over to my neighbor's house, knock on the door. He comes out and I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, were you burning grass? And I'm like, yeah, how'd you know? He's like, well, I was on my back porch and and you were using gasoline because I heard the whoop sound, right? When the gas catches and it's different, you know, because you don't just, when you light grass on fire, you don't hear it. But if you put gas, which I did. I put gasoline on it and he heard it and it dawned on me in that moment. This guy is an outdoor guy who runs deer enclosures and stuff. He's an expert outdoorsman. He knows everything about burning anything outside. So I'm like, huh, by the way, I just have a question about my grass. Would you mind just looking at it uh, just to see if I'm doing this right? Is there a better place, better way? Just, I want to be safe about it. He's like, yeah, sure. That'd be great. He just walks over. He's like X, Y, and Z explain it. And it hits me like, he went from me kind of confronting him ish to him being the expert helping me. And then when he got done helping me, I was like, Hey, by the way, there, there is a reason I came over to, to talk and I have this question. I asked him the question. He's like, that's not a big deal. Wow. Don't worry about that. If yeah. that was a problem, I would tell you you're okay. He's like, I know other people around here have a problem with such and such, but you're okay with me. That's awesome. I'm like, dude, I, I think that's God. Yeah. Yeah. There was a similar time and there's a reason for me telling the story uh, where I was in my office right where you, you see me sitting right now and something told me I need to go to the coffee shop today. I, I didn't plan on it. I, I thought about saving some money this week and not getting a coffee, you know, doing a Keurig or something. And I just walked down to the coffee shop and uh, I happened to see a friend there and she came over to me and we started talking and she says, mm-hmm. She says, listen, I, I'm having a hard time today because this mm. is the anniversary of my granddaughter passing away. Mm. And I was like, wow, I said, can I pray for you? She said, of course. And so we said a prayer uh, right there mm. together and embraced. And uh, it turns out <laughs> that's why God needed me to go to the coffee shop. Yeah. And so then yeah. I felt no words to be there anymore. So I packed my stuff up, went back up to the office and got my work done. <laughs> and I was like, thanks for sending me down there. But the reason why I bring this up and the reason why I'm glad that you brought up your uh, additional story there is that we have become so desensitized to the possibility of these things happening. Um, Shane Claiborne in his book, The Irresistible Revolution, mm. uh, suggests that maybe the reason we don't see God working in our country like other uh, more third world countries see God working there is that we feel like we don't need him anymore because of all of our technology and resources and things like that. And if we did open up our eyes to it, then things like that could happen. And so sometimes someone who maybe wants to start a house church, uh, maybe they don't have a church home, or maybe they just want to get out of that big church environment. They say, okay, that sounds great, but I'm not Matt Dabbs. I don't have 16 years of full-time ministry training. You know, how could I ever do that? And what you're saying through your stories and what I'm saying through mine is, no, God can work with anybody. If if God can make uh, a couple of fishermen and a tax collector and a Uh, as they led into a church leaders who bring 3000 souls, you know, (laughs) to Christ on one day, then certainly he can work through you and I. And uh, it's encouraging people to lay aside that idea that 
it's all on them to to start that yes. house church or to grow people, bring people in. That it's Jesus that draws people to Himself. Yes. Um, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw men to me. Not, not can, not might, but will. Will do that. And what stands between uh, him and and him doing that is often ourselves saying, "Well, it's all on me." We have to turn mm-hmm. that over to God and understand that He can draw people to Him, and that uh, and, if 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 yeah. He lays it on us to start a community like that, then there's a reason for it. <laughs> yes, yeah. and He can draw anyone. Yes. So one of the the great blessings of my life over the last couple years has been uh, to be able to learn from a man named Shadonke Johnson, who started um, Global Harvest Ministries in Sierra Leone. And that ministry has grown to maybe 800,000 converts or something like that in the last 10, 15 years. And um, so he, uh, he, he's come back to he's come to America. He's come to America because America tried to evangelize Sierra Leone pretty much unsuccessfully. They tried for decades, converted like three people, but part of his yeah. family was converted. Like one of those three people was his grandfather or something. So he's like, well, America brought me the gospel. I want to take it back to America. So he's coming back to America to kind of help us like see like all these growth principles and how God's working. But he, um, the kind of people who've gotten converted through that ministry include. Uh, the commander of a firing squad that was about to shoot him. Wow. Who now makes disciples. Wow. A Boko Haram member who came in to suicide bomb their church and was met with so much love and heard the message that they converted. I mean, just things like that where you're like, yeah, what? You know, in, in, in a world of where we, where we hear about church shootings and things like that, paranoia is on another level. You know, what would it be like to, to, to show to, for somebody to come and tell that story, show what's possible that, you know, you don't have to have a security team with, uh, you know, <laughs> hidden <laughs> weapons in your church. You can embrace that person and turn them into <laughs> a disciple, you know, wow. that that's a that's a real possibility. God can work in those ways. God can do anything. Man, that's that's amazing. Um, I think we've we've pretty much either explicitly or implicitly covered all the questions I had for the most part. Um, but Matt. Thank you so much for joining me today. This yeah, was awesome. Absolutely. And, Thank you, Daniel. And, and even though I'm still in that big church setting, this has given me so many ideas for uh, the gathering uh, ministry that we have in mind, that intimate sort of small group, almost yeah. house church setting on Sunday nights and just dealing in other areas in church life. Uh, I, I know I know one thing's for sure. In our weekly staff meetings, we're going to be saying a lot more prayers than we have been. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of one or two, we're going to, we're going to amp those numbers up. Yeah. Right. Oh man. But, and, and I want to make sure everyone hears me really loud and clear. Like I have no condemnation toward bigger churches or established churches or buildings oh, sure. or anything like God needs all shapes and sizes to reach different people in different spots. And it's just, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I have no um, judgment or hard things toward any of that. Bless it. God bless it. Use it. It's awesome. You know, but, we need other expressions too. And some people, this is just what where they're at and what they need to hear. That's right. Big church isn't for everybody. A house church setting might not be for everybody, yes. but we're all on the same team working towards the same goal. Let's give up that territorial mindset of, of how to, uh, of how we talk about church, how we think about church and let it all be for God's glory and let him work in, yeah. work in that in the way that he sees fit, not in ourselves. That. Yeah. Well, man, again, thank you so much uh, for those listening. Be sure to check the show notes for all of the wonderful resources and links that uh, Matt has shared with us today. Uh, his website, mattdabs.com, as well as all of the other YouTube channels and things, uh, books that he suggested for us. You can check that out below. Also, I invite you to check out the Wineskins Restoration Group on Facebook. Uh, it's a great group of people, lots of wonderful discussion. And I know that I've been a uh, part of a lot of discussions where I've made new friends through there, new connections that I wouldn't have made otherwise, uh, like-minded people all over the world coming together to to reimagine what church could be. Uh, we don't have to. We don't have to go through the school of hard knocks ourselves. There's so many people who've already done that for us, and we should connect with those network and see what the future holds for us, what God has in store for us. So, Matt, hey, uh, this podcast couldn't end correctly today unless you close this out with a prayer. Oh man, can you do that for us? Yeah, thank you, Daniel. I, that's the most important thing we could possibly do. Um, God, we um, just ask you that of all the things that that we've shared of all the stories that we've told that uh, we don't want to do any of that for our glory. We don't want to do any of that to build our brand. 
to puff ourselves up, to make ourselves look good. Uh, God, we want to do this because you said so. We want to do this because it's what you told us to do. You've asked us to do it. You've even commanded us to do it in certain ways. And so, God, we want to be faithful. We want to be obedient. Uh, we want to be um, humble. And God, we uh, just embrace that you are in charge. We are not. That you are sovereign. That Jesus Christ is King Jesus, the anointed one, Messiah. And this is your kingdom. This is your church. It does not belong to us. And so, God, uh, we confess that often our flesh gets in the way of doing things the way you want. God, we confess that um, sometimes we get our priorities out of line. Church, large or small, house or building, it doesn't matter. God, we repent of trying to be in charge. We repent of trying to be in control, and we surrender and submit everything to you. And God, we will continue to struggle to submit everything to you until the day we die. We understand that. We're sure going to try. And God, we ask that you would show the way. We ask that you would lead. We ask that your power would be made known. We ask, God, that you would inform us and empower us to do things that we just cannot do on our own or by ourselves. God, that when we see you move, we would follow your lead. When we see you move, we would tell the story. And God, that through all of these things that you would receive glory, that your kingdom, not ours, would be built. God, that we would be able to develop and send out leaders all over the place rather than just kind of just gather them all up and try to keep them all under our roof. God, just give us that vision and still in us that conviction and empower us to do it. And, and God, when we face suffering, when we pay, face persecution and hardship, um, God, we just ask that it would remind us that Jesus went through this first and, and God, it should be expected. God, we ask that you would just submit the powers of darkness, God, that you would just conquer them that you would put them in their place. God, we hate sin. We hate evil. We hate darkness. We hate death. We want to see you prevail, God. Yes, in the great by and by, but also right now today amongst our people and our churches. Uh, God, help us reach the lost. Help us make disciples. Help us start new churches. We, we cannot do this without your help. And we just submit all this to you, God, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, for your people. Amen. Amen.